Thank you, Lord. Wow, that was wonderful. Praise the Lord. How are you this morning? What a pleasure to be with you today. What an honor. We are so thrilled and honored that you guys would invite us to your house. And uh, we're coming to you from Texas, so uh, it's good to get out west and uh, see how everybody's living out here. Man, what an awesome place. You guys are part of an awesome family. This is amazing. You know, we get to travel. That's what we do almost all the time. We're gone at least two to three times a month in places uh, across the United States, around the world. But I can't tell you what it's like to step into a place just filled with the atmosphere of faith. It does something so much for us to come in and people are happy. People are smiling and you're singing. You're singing the word of God. I, I just want to say thank you to the praise and worship team and the worship leaders. What an awesome job you guys have done this morning. I just want to take an opportunity to encourage you along those lines. You know, there's a lot going on in church culture right now. And I think, I think... I'm a relatively young guy, and so this is sort of an inexperienced opinion, so do with it whatever you want to. But the pendulum of church culture has swung way out over on one side that says, if you want to be growing, if you want to be thriving, you've got to do it like this, you've got to sing it like this, you've got to dress it like this, dress it up, dress it down, whatever. And I think there's a lot of pressure to fit into a certain mold when it comes to doing certain things in churches. And we've got wonderful examples of churches Uh, Across the United States, other churches around the world who are, you know, attracting a lot of people and having great impact. But I think it's not just a method that's doing it. I think people who are having impact have found out one very important thing. It's who they are. They're just being who God called them to be, who God created them to be. And I think sometimes in churches, there's a lot of pressure put on pastors to be the next this one or the next that one. You hear this a lot you know, about preachers. Well, that's the next Billy Graham or the next Joel Osteen or the next Kenneth Copeland or the next Or Roberts or any of those kind of things. And I think there's, there's not as much problem with being the next one. The problem is with being just another one. And when you're just another one, you know what happens when you make a copy of a copy? The, the integrity of it is lost. Are you, are you following what I'm saying to you? And I'm so thankful to walk into a place this morning, and I believe you know who you are. I believe you are who you are and who God created you to be. And you're not a copy of somebody else, but you're just, you're singing in faith, you're worshiping in faith, you're giving in faith. And that is tangible. I mean, I've been in this building all of about an hour, and I already know this about you. And this is not something I have the opportunity to say everywhere we go, because it's not the same. But pastors, guys, Mark, Brenda, this is awesome. God is doing something with and through you guys. And we're just privileged to get to have a front row seat and a view of it today. Are you excited to be in church this morning? Well, we are very, very happy to be with you. If you brought a Bible with you today, I want to go together to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4. And in seeking the Lord over our time with you guys today, I have what I think is two very distinctly... Different messages, different words, if you will. First service, second service. So, for if whatever reason you don't like this one, uh, or it doesn't go well or according to plan, I certainly invite you to hang around for the next one 
It may be completely different. Uh, but we are always, always honored to have the opportunity to open up the Word of God for people, with people. And uh, I believe the Lord would say some things to you that would be tailor-made to what you're living through, going through, dealing with, facing. And uh, I believe we've got some exciting things that we want to get into today. First Timothy chapter 4. I know we've prayed, but let's pray one more time together just over our time in the Word and just open up our hearts to let the Lord speak to us. Father, we do love you today and worship you. So thankful to you, so thankful for you. We come before your word and we open our eyes by faith in Jesus' name. We open our ears. We open our hearts. We want eyes that see Jesus. We want ears that hear his voice, the voice of our good shepherd who calls us by name and who leads us out. We want hearts that understand who we are in Jesus, who Jesus is in us. We thank you for revelation of this today. We'll be changed by it. We thank you for it. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's start in verse 12. Listen to what Paul says here by the Spirit of God. He's saying it to this young preacher named Timothy. He said, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come... Give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not, everybody say, do not. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands, of the hands of the eldership. Verse 15, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Back up to verse 12, let no one despise your youth. Now, as I was seeking the Lord this morning, and this is coming to my heart, I'm thinking, Lord, this is an odd word to, to stand up in front of grown-ups and talk about first timothy 4 12 i spent a lot of time as a youth pastor uh for about four years before sarah and i got married i was youth pastoring then we got married and we spent the next two years youth pastoring together so for six years i was youth pastor and for years leading up to that i was a leader in our youth ministry and like any good youth pastor like any good youth leader we built much of our ministry on this word from Paul to Timothy, let no one despise your youth, your youth. And as teenagers, we were like, yeah, old people, don't, don't be looking down on us because we're young. And there are a lot of youth ministries built on this verse. And, and there's certainly not anything wrong with that. But this morning, I think you and I probably have more in common with Timothy and where he was in his life when this letter was written, maybe even more so than a teenager would. Because, and this will be encouraging to you, when Scripture talks about youth, usually what it's referring to is somebody who's not quite 40. Not quite 40. So that encourages me this morning because that's, that's actually exactly where I am. 37, I'll be 38 this year, not quite 40. I'm a young man. A lot of life left in front of me, young man. And that's where Timothy was when Paul wrote this. Late 30s. So probably, I think scholars tell us, somewhere between 38 and 40 years old. And Paul had to write to him 
and tell him, let no one despise your youth. Now, when we think of the word despise, most of the time we think about just disdain and hatred for something or someone to despise it. But that's not what the word despise in scripture often means. Really, it just means to to take it lightly. To give very little weight to it, to give very little honor to it, just to simply look down on it. So when Paul wrote to this young man, he said, look, let no one despise your youth. And if you were to really go back and study some of the original language here, it might have been better translated. Stop letting this happen. Stop letting this go on. Some of the other translations say, uh, don't let them keep on despising you. Because you're young. But I don't want you just to limit this to to seeing it as a letter from an older man to a younger man. People despise and look down on other people and youth is not the only reason. That could be written to anyone at any place, at any time, at any station in life. Let no one look down on you because you're older. Let no one look down on you because you're white. Let no one look down on you because you're black. Let no one look down on you because you're not as wealthy. Let no one look down on you. See, all of these things are all flesh. Yeah, that's right. Let no one despise you because of any reason after the flesh. And you know as well as I do that young people are not the only one that are taken lightly. No, a lot of times that's the case, especially when you've got somebody who's lived a little longer, got a little more experience under under their belt, had a little more life experience. And it's very easy to take someone who's young and inexperienced, especially when you've got a situation like this where Paul has put this young guy in leadership of this rapidly growing church. And one particular scholar that I study after kind of gave us some insight into this. He said, look, this is what was going on here. This church is exploding and there's a lot of elders in it. But instead of putting any of those people over it, Paul took this young protege, this young man, Timothy, and gave him a place of leadership, which then when Paul left town, everybody was like, you know, Paul's pet. That's what they thought of Timothy. This is Paul's pet. And thought very little about what he had to say about what he had to bring to the table. So, yeah, that's happening. You've got one generation despising or lightly esteeming a younger one. But let me tell you something, young people. Let me see the hands of the young people. See, now every hand should have gone up in here. That's an attitude more than it is a number, all right? But it's equally wrong and equally dangerous for a young person to look down or take lightly an elder. Young people, we are missing out on so much wisdom, so much life experience, just treasure and gold when you and I neglect to treat the people that have gone before us as gifts to us. So you can see where it's equally wrong and you could, it could have been written to anyone about anyone else. Are you following me? And we're watching this happen right now in our, in our country and the ways that it has in times past. But man, it's on the forefront now. You got white people 
taking black people lightly, black people taking white people lightly. You got these all these lines and divisions being drawn and and men against women and and management against employee. I mean, just these all these lines and they're all just after the flesh. Nothing but flesh. And Paul told Timothy, stop letting this happen. In your case, you stop letting them despise you because of your youth. Now, if you were to stop right there, it would be very easy to think, you know, here's a young guy, Timothy, who's got this handwritten letter from Paul that would just embolden and emblazon him to come into the boardroom Monday morning, kick down that door and say, look, I got a letter from Paul, y'all. Y'all better stop looking down on me. Paul said, Paul said, y'all got to treat me better. Paul said, you got to be nice to me. I want some respect around here because Paul told you it's been very easy to do that. But that's not the prescribed way about going about this. How do you stop the despising, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're this race, that race, this color, that, whether you're this rich or that poor? How do you stop the despising? You do it like this. Be an example to the believer. One translation says, be an example of a believer. You don't stop it with fighting words. You stop it with a life that proves something else. Be an example of the believers. How? In your words, in your conduct, in your love, in your spirit. In faith and in purity. Timothy, we're going to put a stop to this right now. We're going to put a a stop to all the despising. We're going to put a stop to all the fighting and the bickering. We're going to put a stop to people not putting the value on you that I have put on you, that God has put on you. And here's how we're going to do it. You are going to be a shining example of what it means to be a believer. Because when you set the standard, people can't argue with your life. They can argue with your words all day long, but they can't argue with your life. They can't argue with fruit. You know what I mean by that? You can't argue with fruit. What kind of tree is this? I say it's an apple tree. Well, I say it's an orange tree. Apple, orange, apple, orange. You know how you settle that argument? Look at the fruit. What kind of fruit is hanging on the end of that branch? If it's an apple, it's an apple tree. And argument is settled. See, there there is no arguing over that. And this is what he's telling him here. Be an example because no one will be able to argue with your life and who you are, regardless of what age you are, how young, how old, regardless of any of these other factors after the flesh, if you are living a life that sets the standard of a believer and to the believer, nobody can argue with it. So you be the example, he said, in your words. Let your words set the standard. Not just your words, though, but your conduct. Have the walk that backs up your talk. In your love, love in a way that people can't argue with you. Are we loving like that? Are we loving like that? Are we loving not just those who love us, but are we loving the unlovely? Because you can't argue with that. 
You cannot argue with someone regardless of how young or old they are or whatever other reason after the flesh. You cannot argue with them if they find the strength and the ability to walk in love and talk in love with somebody who absolutely despises them. You know that that man or woman is filled with the spirit of God and the love of God has been shed abroad in their heart. And you can hate them all you want. You can hate them right up until the point you want to be just like them. They can hate you right up until that point. They want to be just like you. I've had that phrase. You've heard that phrase. You hear it in sports a lot. They hate you because they ain't you. (laughs) Well, Jesus said they're going to hate. Didn't he? That's true. He said they will hate you because they hated me first. As a matter of fact, he said, you need to watch out when all men speak well of you. You need to be watchful over that. So, in other words, if you got some folks despising you, hey, way to go. You're doing something right. Now, the next step is to convince them that they're wrong. The next step is to stop it. How do you do that? You need to stop despising. No, it's not going to happen like that. Love them into believing something else about you. Walk in a way that makes them believe something else about you. I wish I had the time to get into all the details of the story of the way God brought Sarah and me together. It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. As a matter of fact, the cliff notes of it is this. I knew she was my wife and she knew that I was her husband before we ever met each other. And people ask us sometimes, unbelievers will ask, how'd you guys meet? I said, I'll tell you, but it will make you believe in God. Lady cutting my hair one day. How'd you meet your wife? I'll tell you. I'll tell you all the story, but it will make you believe in God. I'm sounding like a warning here. Because it was a miracle. But see, nobody can argue. When you hear this story, when you, when you see what God's done in our lives, nobody can argue the existence of God. Nor can they argue His existence in our lives. His provision in our lives. You just can't argue with it. I could not have made this happen. You want to hear this story now, don't you? (laughs) It's good. That's all I'm going to tell you is it's good. The Lord did it. He brought us together from different states, from hundreds of miles apart. It was awesome. But what I'm getting at here is that you can live in such a way, your words, your conduct, your love, your spirit, the spirit of you, the essence of you, just something different about you, your faith. Your purity. All of this sets a standard. Let's keep going though. Listen to this. Verse 13. Till I come, he said, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. So Paul's writing says, listen, I'm coming. I'm on my way. Now here's what's interesting about this. This is written from a minister to a minister about his ministry. So some of these things would be well suited to speak to a, a group of ministers, a group of ministry leaders. And we have ministered along these lines to pastors and to leaders. But the more I think about this and the more I spend time with God's people, the more I realize you are a minister. Yeah. And I don't have to have some special Saturday morning meeting that's just invited, an an invitation extended only to pastors. 
to speak to ministers. This morning, I am speaking to ministers. I can tell that's having a hard time seeing it. You are a minister. You may not be on staff at a church. You may never stand behind a pulpit and preach a message. You may not, you may not sing a song in, in leadership of a congregation, but you are a minister. A minister is just someone who serves. When you look all these words up, that's what you find. It's akin to a butler, a servant. Jesus said, I'm among you as one who serves. And he, he did a lot to just completely flip our mentality about what it is to be great. He, he said it like this. He said, you know, let me ask you, who's the greatest? The one who's sitting at the table or the one who's serving? He said, you say it's the one sitting at the table, but I'm telling you I'm here as one who serves. So you tell me who's greater. And you can tell we still have a hard time swallowing that. We still have a hard time figuring that out because just based on our whole natural way of thinking, the guy, the girl sitting at the table, the one being served, they're the greater one, right? I mean, they're the wealthier one. They're the one with the more influence, the more impact. But if you listen to Jesus, That's right. which I hope you do and assume you are, he said, I'm among you as one who serves. And if you want to be great be a servant. So see, he wasn't telling you that this desire in you to be great, he wasn't telling you that's wrong. Every one of us are born with that. There's an inborn desire for greatness. Because greatness, when, I, when you hear that word, I don't want you to think just famous. I think sometimes we equate greatness with famous. But we live in a culture, and I think more than any other in history, we live in a culture where people are famous for being famous. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. You know what you want more than fame? Impact. That's right. That's what you want. Impact. More than fame, you want to have an impact on somebody. You want to have an impact on the world you're living in and you're a part of. That's what you want. Greatness is not just fame, it's impact. That's so good. So... As long as you've got something to give someone, to serve them with, you're a minister. So a quick, another quick survey. Let me see the hands of the ministers in here today. See, that's still not everybody. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a mentality that you've got to get through. You've got something to give. That's right. Man, if you are born again and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you've got the word of God in you, you've got something to give. You've got something to serve people with. You're a minister. So this is written as much to you as it was to this pastor of this church that's growing and growing and growing. This, this applies as much to you in here this morning as it did to him. Amen. Regardless of what side of 40 you're on. Somebody say, this is for me. This applies to me. Now, whether or not you're a pastor, you've all been through this. You've all experienced what it is to have people that just don't seem to give you any weight, give your opinion any weight, or, or think much of what you have to say or what you have to bring to the table, we've all been there. We've all experienced that. And here's what you do about it. Man, I love the Word of God. 
These are not just some ethereal ideas. These are not just theories. These are what you do. Instructions in every situation. So when you're going through these relational kind of things, what do you do? Paul said, look, till I get there, I'll straighten this out when I get there. But till I do, you give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Other translations bring out, he's saying to him here, here, look, look, Timothy, concentrate. In other words, you're distracted. You're being distracted by the opinions of other people. You ever been there? You ever, you ever laid awake at night thinking about what they think about you? We all have. We've all wrestled with that. The opinions of other people. And Paul said, look, you're going to have to stop thinking about this. Till I get there, this is what you give attention to. Let me make this very simple for you, Paul said. You give attention to reading the word. You give attention to exhortation. or In other words, speaking the word. And you give attention to doctrine. In other words, make sure what you're saying is right. Timothy, can you handle this? Can you, can you unplug for at least a little bit from what people are saying about you, what people are doing to you, the opinions of other men and women? Can you unhook from that long enough to get back in the Word of God and give all of your attention back to reading, back to preaching, and making sure you are preaching doctrine, not preaching opinion, not preaching emotion, not preaching just your own personal experience. You are preaching what you're reading. He's saying, let me, let me draw your attention back to where you're supposed to be. Concentrate on this because here's the problem. The next verse, verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you. These two words do not. I like these in scripture and you ought to underline them, especially when you see them in the New Testament, because oftentimes they would be better translated like this. Stop it. Stop it. You remember when Jesus said, do not Worry about tomorrow. That's right. Do not take thought. I think that's what we may get into next service. Do not. You know what that could be better translated as? Stop it. Stop worrying, Jesus said. Stop taking thought. It, when, you, when you read these two words, do not, it was some of the strongest prohibitive language that could be used. So when he wrote to Timothy, he was saying, stop Neglecting the gift. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. (laughs) And I hear it like that because this is a father writing to a son. And I'm a father and I got two little ones. And I hear myself sometimes. It's never enough to just say, hey, stop. It's depending on what they're doing. It's stop it, 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 stop, 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 stop it, stop it, stop, stop, stop it. And you got to say it that many times sometimes, right? To get them... To give you any attention when they're little like that. And the first time you say stop it, all they do is look at you and see how much more can I press this. Don't do it, 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 don't do it. And we think if we say it over and over and over and over. But that's what you got to do sometimes to get that attention. And I believe that's the same, the same intensity that Paul is writing to Timothy with. And if you could imagine him just reaching out and grabbing him by the coat there and pulling him to stop it. 
Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop, <laughs> stop what? Stop neglecting. Stop ignoring the gift that's where? In you. So by default, when Timothy's given all his attention to the despising, what's he doing? Neglecting the gift. You can't do both of these things at the same time. You can't give all your attention, all your focus, all your affection to what other people are saying about you. You can't give attention to that and value what God's doing in you. This is one or the other. And you've got to make a choice. If you're paying attention to what folks have said, you are by default neglecting what God has said and what God has put in you. What happens when you neglect something? Anybody ever had a... We had a fish growing up for a little while. Not very long. Because it's not like it's a dog, you know what I mean? I mean, there's a, when you have a dog, he's there and he's with you wherever you go. And he's, he's hard to forget about. He's present. Fish just sort of end up in a corner, you know, unless you're a fish lover. But I, I remember as a kid, it was like, Mommy, why is this fish floating upside down? <laughs> oh, yeah, the fish. Well, what happens when you neglect something? What happens when you don't feed it? Did you ever buy a plant with really good intentions of having this thing bring life to your living room? What happened when you forgot, you neglected it day after day after day? Oh, I got to water that thing. I got to feed that thing. I forgot to water it again today. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. What are you doing? You're neglecting it. You're ignoring it. And while you're neglecting it, what's it doing? Shriveling up and dying. It's dying. What do you think is happening to the gift that God has put inside people all over the world that these people have no idea how to feed it, how to, how to water that with the Word of God, how to strengthen it? All they know how to do is live based on the opinions of other people. All they know how to do is be people pleasers. Man fearers. <laughs> and as you do that, you're neglecting that gift. What's happening to it? It's shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. It's got to be watered. Not just watered. Hold your place here in chapter 4. Just look over on the other page to Second Timothy chapter 1. This is another letter Paul wrote to him. Listen to some of these same words in verse... Three, he said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, that as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. Timothy is just having a hard time with this, this whole leadership thing. And I understand it. Paul said, I'm mindful of your tears. Evidently, Timothy was kind of a crier. <laughs> I'm, I'm aware that you're crying, he said, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is where? In you. Which, this makes me laugh, dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded is in you also. 
This poor guy. You know what I mean? I mean, he's got people at work that don't like him. He's having a hard time with his position of leadership. And even his mentor, who loves him like a father, looks at him and says, Wow, you know who you remind me of? Your grandma. (laughs) And somebody else, who is it? Oh, yeah, your mom. (laughs) And I know, I know ultimately that's a compliment. It's a good thing. But I'm thinking what it would be like as a man struggling with my own identity here, you know. And my mentor, my, my father in the faith, the best compliment he can come up with is you remind me of your grandma. Does anybody else see this in here? I mean, it's, it's, I think some of this, though, is insight. In all seriousness, it's insight into the personality that Timothy had. And it wasn't the stereotypical, I don't think, alpha male leader. But none of that mattered. None of that stuff after the flesh mattered. It all was dependent on the gift and the faith that was where? In him. None of this outward stuff. None of the age, the age that he was, the age that he wasn't. None of the race. None of, and, and even some of that was part of it. Because his mom and grandma, these are believers, but his father, scholars tell us, he wasn't. So he's dealing with a lot of different stuff here. And Paul had to write to him and tell him in verse 6, 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So in 1 Timothy, he's ignoring it. 2 Timothy, Paul's got to tell him again, Hey, stir it up, man. Stir up the gift that's in you. Because if you don't neglect or if you neglect it, you're not stirring it up. You're not feeding it. You're not watering it. And even more than just the concept of feeding and watering, when Paul said stir up, it's a big old fat Greek word, anazopereo. Anna means again. Zoe, Zoe, you know what that means, right? What is it? Life. You know what pareo is? Fire. So you know what he said to him in that big fat word? Put life in the fire again. That's why other translations say you got to kindle this thing. You got to rekindle this gift that is in you. Put some life back in the fire. That fire's dying down. Pour some fuel on it. Get that flame going again. As a junior in high school, the first week of school, I went to a little Christian school there in Fort Worth, and the first week of my junior year, they had this big bonfire out on the soccer field, kind of to start the whole year. The senior class hosted it. And what they wanted to do that night was have all the high school come out, and they they started the year in worship and in praise. This is wonderful to go to a Christian school that would value these kind of things, but I will never forget standing as a junior in high school looking at that fire, that fire that was burning bright and burning clean, and I'm standing there watching it, and all of a sudden, as a junior, a guy, tears begin coming down my cheeks. I have a lot more in common with Timothy maybe than I (laughs) even want to have, but I'm crying Thinking back on being a a young kid, four, five, six, seven years old, nine, ten, eleven years old. And there at that time in my life, there was a passion about the things of God, even as a little guy. As a little guy, I had told my parents, when Papa sits down, I'll stand and preach. But you know what? Through junior high, early high school, I got cool. 
You know what I mean? I got cool. Which cool is just nothing but living life according to the flesh. It goes all the way back to what do others think? What do others say? And standing there watching that fire, the Lord reminded me of the fire that used to burn in me. And it wasn't just about the one that used to burn, but the one that could burn. And my junior year was a turning point for me. And some of the relationships I entered into were people that were passionate about God. They were people who were passionate about the things of God, about church and serving in church and worshiping in church. And I, I, was a, I had started a band with some friends, like 10th grade, I think. And our band was called Jimmy Carter and Me. Because <laughs> we were into, you know, alt-rock. And we just the weirdest name we could think of. And we were all born at the tail end of the Jimmy Carter administration. So why not? Jimmy Carter and me. <laughs> stupid, man. I mean, it was really stupid. We had two songs and we played one time at a high school talent show. One song was called Miniature Horse. I'm telling you, it was stupid. But I remember that junior year, sort of forgetting some of the dumb stuff and started using some of that gift. The gift, Paul wrote to Timothy talking to him about the gift, started using some of that to begin to worship the Lord. Instead of playing guitar in a band called Jimmy Carter and Me and singing songs about a dumb miniature horse, I know it's stupid, but I got it with some other friends who are all about singing worship songs and leading our youth group in worship. And that gift started... That, that fire started flaming up inside me again. Why? Because I was feeding it. I was feeding it. And the interesting thing here about this word gift, if you look it up in the Greek, it's the word charisma. Which comes from the word charis, which is grace. Charisma. Do you know the Greek word charisma? Do you know what word we get in our English language from the word charisma? Charisma. <laughs> That's the word we get from it. Yeah. But have you ever witnessed somebody who had some charisma about them? And that guy, that girl, they've got charisma. What are you saying? You're saying there's a gift. There's, a, there's something about them. But all you're really observing is what's in them coming out of them. You're watching the grace that's in them, the gift that's in them, you're watching it come out. Have you ever said that about somebody who's got a talent, got a gift? You said, man, they are just so graceful. So graceful at that. You ever watch somebody dance and say, wow, so graceful. They make it look so easy. Nobody has ever seen me dance and said, he's so graceful. No one's ever said that. Why? Because that's not the gift in me. It's not the gift. But you understand what I'm saying. When you, when you begin to identify the gift that is in you, and you begin to feed that thing and fuel that thing and let it burn and burn and burn so bright that it can't stay in you, it's got to come out of you, people will begin to say the same thing about you. Graceful, gifted. But it's not something you took from the outside and put on. It's something that's coming from the inside out. 
And this is so precious and it's so valuable. But just like Timothy here, you're going to meet people who don't value it. Who don't see the value in it. And it's up to you and I, up to you and me, to stop the despising. Well, how can I do that? How can I make them think differently of me? Make them speak differently of me? You don't do it by getting in an argument. You don't do it by trying to fight with flesh and blood. You do it by giving your attention to the gift. Yes, that's right. So good. Is that not what he said? Give attention to these things. He said, look, there's a gift in you, young man. I know because I put it there when I laid my hands on you. I know because the the anointing and the grace of God is on you. I know when I put you in this place of leadership that that was the direction of the Holy Spirit. So stop neglecting the gift. Stop ignoring it. Because the whole time you're crying about what they're saying about you, this gift in you is dying. All the while that you're giving your attention to that, you're not feeding this. You're not fueling this. So what did he say to him in verse, back to 1 Timothy chapter 4? Go on to verse 15. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. That your progress may be evident to all. Give yourself, he said, to your ministry. Again, survey, hands of the ministers. Let me see the ministers in here. Okay, so is he talking to you? Absolutely. What's his advice to you? Give yourself entirely to your ministry. Give yourself to it. Just get swallowed up in it. Get completely submersed in it. Give yourself entirely to it. Eat this thing. Sleep this thing. Breathe this thing. Whatever the call of God is, whatever the gift of God is, whatever the assignment of God is in your life, and I don't care if it's standing behind a pulpit or raising a family at home or in an office of some kind, wherever it is, whatever it is, whoever you are called to serve, give yourself to it. Yes. I know full well that there are people in here from the time you were young, like way before 40. (laughs) I know that you began to sense the call of God on your life as a young man, a young woman. You began to get a taste of what God created you to do. And you saw yourself doing something. You saw yourself either preaching the gospel or, or being a missionary or serving people in some way. Or maybe you saw yourself in the professional world making just a truckload of money so that you could start investing in the kingdom of God. You saw yourself stepping out of what was comfortable, stepping out of the path that everybody before you took. You saw yourself doing something by faith. And you saw the impact it was going to have, but for whatever reason, you've, you've stayed connected to this, this old, comfortable way of doing it. You just you stayed connected to the only thing you ever knew, which was your experience or somebody else's. And God's saying, hey, quit leaning on your own understanding. Put all your trust in me. I'll direct your path. I'll show you what to do. I'll show you how to do it and I'll increase you as you do. But it's going to take some trust. I know I'm talking to somebody in here this morning who's dealt with that, lived through that, 
And I'm going I'm to encourage you with this. It's not too late. Not too late. Amen. It's not. Amen. Never too late. It is not too late. Step out. Yes. Step out. Pour some gasoline on that fire and get passionate again. Yes. Way too many people in this life living with no passion. No passion. That's the same thing as saying living with no vision. Yeah. Stuck in a rut, as they say. And the thing about that, when you start doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over, it, it tries to just drain the passion out of you. Yeah. I'm here this morning to tell you, pour some fuel on this fire. Stir up this gift that's in you. You got to stir it up. And watch what happens. Watch it. All the quote-unquote haters that you've had, watch them fall in love with you. Either that or just move on. (laughs) Either one would be fine, right? Oh, thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Man, I love you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. I love what God has created you to be. I love the gift He's put in you. He loves it. Yes. He values it. Maybe you've been just like Timothy here, standing on the edge of something God's called you to do, and maybe you've been standing there for decades. Just jump off, man. Yes. Just jump off. God delights in His children stepping out over the aching void with nothing beneath their yes. feet but His Word. Yes. He delights in that. A simpler way to say it, Jesus loves faith. He just loves it when you'll step out in faith and think about the example you will be. Not only to your generation, but to the one coming up right after you. They need to see somebody walk by faith and talk by faith and believe in God by faith and not quit fighting the fight of faith all the way to the finish, all the way to the end, all the way to they receive exactly what they've been believing God for, even if it takes years and years and years. The generation coming up after you, the one coming up after me, they need somebody to show them how to do this. They have to have it. Yeah. So those of you who are older than me, I'm looking at you. I'm looking to you. Pastors, you, you, know, this is, you know this so well. You got my generation looking at you guys. And the gold, the treasure that's in you, the experience. How do you, how do you own a building, Pastor? How do you get into a place of your own? How do you believe God on a level this big? That's in you. We have to have it. I got a six-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter in my house right now. And Sarah and I know that our whole lives are about living in a way that teaches them how to do this. Amen? Amen. Stand up. Let me pray for you this morning.